Well, there was this little old church in the country. It was painted white with a high steeple. And one Sunday, the minister noticed that the steeple needed painting. The next day, he went into town and bought some paint. Now, he went back out to the church and began to work, and he finished the first side, and it looked great. But then he noticed that he'd used over half the paint, and it wasn't going to last. So he rummaged around in his shed and found some paint thinner. And he thinned the paint and was back in business. And before long, the steeple was looking white and pristine. Except that night it rained. And it rained and it rained and it rained. And the next morning when he stepped outside the manse to admire his work, he saw the first side and it looked great. And then he saw the other three sides and it was all washed away. Out of frustration, he looked up and cried, What shall I do? And a voice boomed from heaven and said, Repaint! and thin no more. (laughs) And of course, this is a a play on words. Repent and sin no more. And this phrase is not found in the Bible, but repent and sin no more has come to sum up the prophet John's ministry in the wilderness. John was active around the time of Jesus just as he was beginning his ministry. In fact, John's ministry was so defined by this call to repent and be baptised that John is known as John the Baptizer or John the Baptist. So this morning, as we come to understand what baptism's all about, we're going to cover three areas. We're going to look at repentance, which is our reason for baptism. And then we're going to look at Jesus, our example in baptism, And then we're going to look at the temptation that follows baptism, our caution. So repentance, Christ's example, and the temptation. So first of all, we'll start with repentance and our reason to be baptised. So John, he called everyone to repent. What did that look like? Matthew chapter 3 verse 1. In those days John the Baptist came preaching in the desert of Judea. And he was saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Now, John was no religious nut job wandering around the desert trying to start a cult. He was the one predicted by the prophet Isaiah who would come preparing the way for the Messiah. I mean, this is how John saw himself. Even though he rose to fame and people flocked to John, he was always looking to point to the Messiah. And this is how Jesus saw John the Baptism. Jesus saw John the Baptist fulfilling that role of Elijah where the Old Testament prophecies said that Elijah would come before and prepare the way for the Messiah. So what did John do to prepare people's hearts and minds for Christ? Well, he called people to repent. He called people back to a heart relationship with God. You see, in those days, many of God's people, including their spiritual leaders, had completely missed the point. They felt that as long as they kept the rules, the laws of God, then they would be in his good books. They could keep them happy, but at arm's length. They could keep the rules, and not only that, God would owe them. And the harder the rules that they followed, the more that God would owe them. Their relationship or their work with God was like a bookkeeping exercise. You know, if I do all these good things, then God owes me this, this, and this. But in all this, they were badly mistaken. So John the Baptist came declaring loudly and forcibly, you've missed the point. 
It's all about relationship with God. You see, God wanted them and wants us to be in a right relationship with him, a relationship defined by compassion, warmth, and acceptance. And so John the Baptist called them to repent, to change direction, to turn 180 degrees away from the stubbornness of their hearts. Repentance is based on the Greek word metanoia, and it means change your mind. Meta means change, and noia or nous means mind. And so it means a 180 degree change in your thinking. And by Jesus' day, it didn't just mean your thinking, it meant your whole life. Your life was going in one direction. Repentance means, repentance means you turn around 180 degrees and go in the other direction. And so John the Baptist called people to repent. And what was the sign? What was the sign of this inward change? Well, the outward sign was baptism. And that's what baptism is. It's an outward expression of an inward reality. Baptism signifies in a very public way that we have turned to God, and not only that, but others can turn to God too. That when we come to Christ and we acknowledge our stubborn hearts and ask for forgiveness, then we've received a miracle. Christ takes our heart of stone and replaces it with a heart of flesh. Listen to the prophet Ezekiel. This was written, this is God's words, uh, written a few hundred years beforehand, but God's words to you and I today. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you. See, baptism is an outward expression of this very miracle. That by God's spirit, we have a new heart and a new life. We are born again. Baptism is also an invitation for others to be baptised as well. The invitation to repent and believe. So repentance, that's our reason for being baptised. But what about Jesus? Why did Jesus need to be baptised? He was without sin. He had no need to repent. He already had a warm and personal relationship with his heavenly Father. So why did Jesus need to be baptised? Well, that brings us to Christ or Jesus as our example. You see, at about the age of 30, Jesus had a clear sense that now was the time to start God's work, the work that God had sent him to. So what was to be his first step? Well, would it be a few miracles to get people's attention? Was that to be Jesus' first step in his public ministry? No. What about gathering a few followers around him, a core, a nucleus? Was that to be his first step? No. What about setting up shop in Jerusalem, the uh, spiritual religious centre of God's people? No, none of these things. What God wanted Jesus to do to start his public ministry was to travel to the middle of nowhere and be baptised by John. And we see this in chapter 3 of Matthew, verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptised by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptised by you, and do you come to me? And so do you see John's problem? His reluctance to baptise Jesus. You see, John knows who Jesus is and that he had no need to repent. There was no son in Christ. On top of this, being baptised, people might consider Jesus to be a sinner. Just like them. You see the logic? 
John's been saying, you're a sinner and you're a sinner, you need to be baptized, and he's been really forceful, and these sinners have come and repented and been baptized. Now, if Jesus comes to be baptized, people will think that he's a sinner. We're talking guilt by association. And this would undermine his public ministry. This is not a good way to start out. So John is uncomfortable and he tries to talk Jesus out and says, well, actually, you should be baptizing me. Are you sure about this, Jesus? And in verse 15, Jesus replies, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. You see, unbeknown to John, Jesus would define his ministry by being closely associated with sinners, with the down and outers and the marginalised. Time and time again, Jesus would get into hot water for welcoming sinners, socialising with misfits, eating with outcasts. He would teach these people, love them and even forgive them. And for that, he got criticised, ridiculed and in trouble. You see, being baptised by John was Jesus' clear sign that he was coming to the waifs and the strays, those on the edge of society. And that's great news for you and I. It's good news, it's wonderful news. Jesus does not befriend those who feel they're good enough. I'll repeat that. Jesus does not befriend those who feel they're good enough, but those who know in their heart of hearts that without Christ they're in deep, deep trouble. Have you ever wondered why the gospel seems to just hit a brick wall with some people? You know, you can, they can hear it explained either by you or by a visiting speaker and it's just powerful and compelling and you think, why are their hearts hard to this gospel? Well, it's because they think they're good enough. That they don't need Jesus. That they're okay. And that whatever structures they've built in their life are enough. It's only those who know deep down that they need Christ and if they don't have him, they're in trouble, that are open to the gospel. So John relents, and Jesus is fully immersed in the Jordan River in Matthew 16. And as soon as Jesus was baptised, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descend like a dove and lighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. And here, in a most wonderful way, we have the Trinity, that wonderful mystery, that wonderful relationship and completeness that was there before the creation of the universe. For we see the Son baptised, the Father speaking out, and the Holy Spirit descending. There is great delight amongst the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit when anyone repents and is baptised. In a very real way, the Heavenly Father's words to Phoebe today, when you come out of the water, your Heavenly Father will be saying, you are my child whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. These are the words of your Heavenly Father to you this morning and to everyone who is baptised. That compassion and that warmth and that acceptance overflow as the Spirit of God comes upon those who are baptised in a fresh way. So Christ, he is our example. But then there's a caution, temptation. Straight after Jesus was baptised, he was tested. 
He was put under pressure. He, was, he went under trial. Let's pick this up in Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. Straight away, with no rest. And so none of us need be surprised that after our baptism, temptation comes our way. It's just what happens. If it happened to Christ, it's going to happen to us. And how can we be tempted? What will it look like? Well, for different people, it comes into different things. One of the ways is we can be tempted to disown Jesus in front of our friends. So normally on a Monday morning at school or at work and you're chatting a morning tea or something at a morning interval, people say, what do you do on the weekend? You know, how many are brave enough to say, well, I was baptised. So straight away, there's a temptation, isn't there, to disown Jesus because you think, oh, that's a little bit weird for some people to say baptism and all that sort of stuff. So that's often the first temptation that we face is to actually let people know that we were brave enough to be baptised. But it may come in other ways as well. It may be busyness. Often with Christians, it's busyness. You know, you're doing all these wonderful things. It might be work, extra study at school, it might be sports, it might be that special relationship. And these, these good things push Christ aside. And that may be the temptation that comes after baptism. But listen to the words from the Bible in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. Paul writing to that rather dysfunctional church, but writing words of wisdom when he says, No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. We are all tempted. Temptation in itself, that, that thought, that desire, that inclination to do something that we know is wrong, to cross that boundary we shouldn't, that in itself is not a sin. I mean, Jesus was tempted. And that was real. You know, there was a real draw for Jesus to give in to those temptations. So being tempted is not a sin. It's acting them out that is a sin. And so Paul goes on to write, And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way so that you can stand up under it. God promises us all that he will not put us in a situation where we can't cope and promises faithfully to help us bear up under it. And it's not just after our baptism that we face temptation, it's all through our Christian walk, sometimes very intense and then other times very little temptation and we seem to be ticking over quite nicely. But either way, it happens. And what happens when we fall? Because we all do. We all fall, including myself. And so what do we do? Well, we can have every confidence that when we repent, turn 180 degrees, turn our back on that temptation, God will forgive and strengthen and we start again. So we have this pattern, repentance, renewal. Repentance, renewal. That is a cycle that needs to be in every Christian's life, whether a young person who's committed their life at nine or someone that's, 90 or 99. Repentance, renewal, receiving that wonderful grace that is new every morning. And so, what is baptism? It's an outward sign of an inward reality. It's an outward sign that we've repented and we've asked Christ in our life and that we've started a personal relationship with Jesus and that we're serious in following through. 
Baptism is also an open invitation for anyone else to repent and to believe. Who should be baptised? Every Christ follower. It's not optional. Even Jesus, who did not need to be baptised, was, and he is our example. So if you want to be serious about following Christ, if you want to be obedient, you need to be baptised. Now some of us were baptised as infants, and you need to examine your conscience. Uh, many of you will feel, yes, I was baptised as an infant and then confirmed as a teenager, which has used to be the system, and still is, and that's okay. I have a piece about that. Well, that's fine. But if you can think back to your baptism as an infant and you don't have peace about that, come and have a talk to me and we can work out whether you can uh, renew your vows with full immersion. Now, if you haven't been baptised as an infant and you haven't been baptised at all, then if you want to follow Christ, you're going to have to take the plunge, pun intended. And you're going to be honest with God and say that, Lord, I either want to follow you, so I will make plans to be baptised, or actually I don't want to be baptised. And that's turning your back on God. What happens after we baptise? Well, temptation always comes in. Because Satan wants to undermine, he wants to take back what, is, what was his and he will tempt us. But God will help us resist, be firm, be strong. Now I want to finish with a story. I want you to imagine a modern day setting. Now there's a whole bunch of people that want to be baptised. And they're dressed just like you and I. And they're gathered near a river for a mass baptism. So many people want to get baptised that there has to be some organisation. So some official-looking people start calling out to the people. When you decide to come and repent, we want you to register with us. We'll give you a name tag so those that are doing the baptising can be more personal with you. Come to the registration table and tell us your name and your most awful sin. So... With a little bit of hesitation, Bob steps up to the table. Name? Bob. What's your most awful sin, Bob? Well, I stole some money from my boss once. The official takes a marker and writes, Bob, embezzler, slaps it on his chest with a little bit of satisfaction. Next person. What's your name? Mary. Mary, what's your most awful sin? I slandered some people. I said some things that weren't true. I just didn't like them. So the official writes, Mary, slanderer, slaps it on her chest. Next, name, Gordon. Gordon, what's your most awful sin? Adulterer, he says, looking at the ground. And the official's getting into it now. He writes in big, bold letters, slaps it on the chest. Gordon, adulterer. And these people with their names and their most awful sins for everyone to see line up by the river. They're waiting to be baptised. Now up to the table comes Jesus. Well, this is a bit of a surprise. The officials are not sure what to do. I mean, what's Jesus' most awful sin? Well, nothing. There aren't any. So Jesus starts walking down the line. And he comes to Bob and says, hi Bob, give me your name tag. And so Jesus takes Bob's name tag, puts it on his chest. 
Then he comes up to Mary. Mary, can I have your name tag too? And so he takes Mary's name tag and puts it on his chest. Gordon, I'd love yours as well. Slaps it on his chest. Soon, the Son of God is covered with name tags and the most awful sins. Now, one of the officials comes up to Jesus and quietly takes him aside and says, "Ah, Are you sure you're doing the right thing, Jesus? I know you're the Messiah and everything, but uh, if you're going to start a new religion, if you're going to start a worldwide movement, you need to be above reproach. Why don't you take off a couple of the really bad name tags? Like murderer, that should go. And what about adulterer? Yeah, well, why don't you take that one off? But Jesus uh, reaches out, put his hands on the shoulder of the officials and says, don't you realise I am the son of David? David had to wear these name tags, murderer and adulterer, and I didn't write him off. I forgave him. And so Jesus goes to the water and he wades out till he's alongside John and they know each other well. They hug. And the crowd watches on. And there in the river, Jesus, the saviour of the world, is baptised. And guess what? The ink on the name tags is not permanent. So when Jesus comes up out of the water, all of the ink has been washed away and is going down the river. And we remember these words from the Psalms. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. And this is what repentance does. This is the invitation to each one of us today. Christ calls us to himself with the warmth and the compassion and the acceptance will just, that will just blow you away. Without Christ in our life, we are sinners and we are lost. With Christ in our life, we have great hope new life, and an adventure in this life and the next that you wouldn't believe. That's what baptism is all about. Let's pray.